This is Your Calls Media Roundtable. I'm Rose Aguilar. Now we are going to talk about chronic absenteeism in the United States. Before the pandemic, during the 2015-2016 school year, an estimated 7.3 million students were deemed chronically absent, meaning they had missed at least three weeks of school in an academic year. After the pandemic, the number of absent students almost doubled to about 15 million. Here in California, The pre-pandemic chronic absenteeism rate stood at 12% in 2018 and jumped to 30% in 2021. Alec McGillis wrote about this crisis in a ProPublica piece called Skipping School, America's Hidden Education Crisis. He writes, with state and federal governments largely abdicating any role in getting kids back into classrooms, some schools have turned to private companies for a reimagined version of the truant officer. Alec McGillis is an award-winning reporter for ProPublica, focusing on gun violence, economic inequality, and the pandemic-era school crisis. He's the author of The Cynic, a 2014 biography of Senator Mitch McConnell, and Fulfillment, America in the Shadow of Amazon. Hi, Alec. Thank you for joining us, and thank you for this important investigation. Thanks for having me. How long have you been covering absenteeism? Well, I've just I've been covering the all the fallout from the pandemic school closures for a couple of years now. And I've written some stories about going all the way back to the fall of 2020 when that first uh, school year started with schools still closed in most many cities in the country. I did a big story about the effect this was having on kids in urban America, focusing on one boy in Baltimore who was um, really affected very, very powerfully by the school closures. And and then doing some more stories on learning loss and just all these various consequences of the of the pandemic school closures. But it, I kept hearing from teachers and others that overarching the learning loss was this much bigger problem of, of absenteeism, of kids simply not going back to school, that essentially we had lost the, the norm of school attendance, this the routine, the habit, the expectation that you go to school most days had sort of fallen away during that year or more when kids were not going to school. You write that this issue has attracted surprisingly little attention from leaders, elected or otherwise, and education coverage in the national media has focused heavily on culture wars. So what explains this? Why isn't this issue getting more media attention? That's a very good question. Um, I think there are a couple parts of it. One is that it's one of these problems that is happening everywhere, but in very kind of... um, it sort of happens incrementally all over the place. And, and we've seen these rates go up really all throughout the country. Just about every kind of community has seen this absenteeism rates go up. But it's something that happens household by household. It's not a matter of violence or abuse. It's nothing that's it's not dramatic in that sense or pressing in that sense. It's just kids not going to school. And so uh, it's only until you really look at it hard, look at it close, that you see just how enormous the problem has become. I do think another reason that we haven't focused that much on it is that it's, well, it's a kind of an awkward subject for, for many, many people to, to confront now because it is an outgrowth of our decision to, um, to close schools as long as we did in, in many cities in this country. The rates of absenteeism are, are correlating very strongly with the length of school closures in a given community now. And, and so in some sense, you know, those were, those were obviously very, um, very vigorous, uh, pain, painful debates that we had over reopening schools 
and and addressing the absenteeism crisis now means in some sense a kind of a reckoning with decisions we made back then. Based on the incredible reporting that you did, it, it seems like poverty is also a major factor here. Is is there any way of knowing the role of school closures during COVID versus the role that poverty plays? To be honest, the, the strongest correlation is really with the length of school closures. Hmm. Um, there's always been higher absenteeism in, in high poverty communities. We've that, that's always that's always been an issue for a lot of a lot of urban schools, um, but the rates have just gone up so much higher. You can't really explain for that just with poverty because the poverty was there before and the rates were what they are. Now the rates nearly doubled. Something happened, and what happened was the pandemic, all the stresses of the pandemic, and and the extent of school closures in so many communities. Alec, before we dive in and talk about your findings, I just want to ask you one more media question because we're sadly seeing so many more layoffs already this year, just a hundred from the Los Angeles Times. So many journalists of color have lost their jobs. And I'm sure this really concerns you because it's going to have a major impact on education and absenteeism, reporting on these issues. It concerns me enormously. Um, it's just dreadful what's happening in these cities. Um, and it's one reason I'm all the more grateful that I'm able to. I've been spending some of my time, sort of a part-time, part-time volunteer basis, helping out at the Baltimore Banner, which is a new uh, online nonprofit news organization in Baltimore mm-hmm. that's um, just a, a year and a half old now and is incredibly vigorous and growing fast and, and a rare bright spot in the landscape. But it's so important that these issues get covered at the local level. The um, papers that still news outlets that still have um, still have K twelve reporters are doing great work on this um, on, on writing about absenteeism. There's some been some great reporting on absenteeism in Detroit, in the city of Detroit, um, Washington D C. The Washington Post schools reporters done a great job on it, but in so many communities, that person doesn't even really exist anymore. And so it's a case where the the local leadership, local citizenry, doesn't even does not even realize what a crisis is sitting in front of them. A lot of your reporting came from the people who work for Concentric. Uh, This is a company that has contracts with local schools across the country. It was founded in 2010 by David Heiber, a former school administrator who has a very interesting background. It had only 20 employees before COVID, and now it has more than 100 employees and received a $5 million investment from a social venture capital firm uh, to fuel expansion. Tell us more about David Hyber and his company, Con- uh, Concentric. Yeah, this is just a really remarkable story. There's been there's such a void in the response, the, in the official response to this crisis, this absenteeism crisis, that it's created a real business opportunity for a company like Concentric, which was started uh, about 12 years ago by this guy, David Hyber, who has a you know, really complex backstory. He was a um, growing up um, as a teenager in Delaware, being raised by his grandparents. He's biracial. He's being raised by his white grandparents, and um, and they died in very close succession, effectively or making him an orphan. And he kind of went off the rails in his late teens. Ended up in prison for a couple of years for burglary. Um, got out, went to college, and started working his way up through the ranks as an educator in Baltimore and D.C. And then while he's still quite young and is still in his 30s, he got a, an initial investment um, to start this company. He had an idea for a company to basically to help schools 
do home visits to students, to students who were absent or struggling, um, to sort of coach teachers and, and school staff and how to do these visits, make them effective. But what he found pretty quickly was that a lot of schools, a lot of educators are very reluctant to do home visits themselves. It's There's a real kind of a distaste on the part of many school employees about going out to the, to neighborhoods to go to students' homes, um, you know, partly because educators are so busy with everything they have to do with the kids who are in school. Um, but then I think there's also, you know, just a, yeah, just a little bit of discomfort with, with making those visits. And so he started doing them himself and hiring people to do them himself. And, and schools would start, would hire him to, to do that task of trying to connect with students who had kind of fallen off the radar. And now since the pandemic, his business is booming because there are so many, many more students who have fallen off the radar and schools are desperate to, to, to figure out what's going on and try to get them back. So Concentric hires people like Shapria Johnson. You open your piece telling us about Shapria's stories. And so people like Shapria go to homes, knock on doors, and try to figure out what's going on. Is anyone home? Why aren't your kids coming to school? And she does it in a way that's not intimidating. And and she's able to get families and parents to really open up to her. Can you just tell us how this process works? Yeah, it's really quite something to watch. I was I made three trips out to the uh, working class suburbs of Detroit, where she and her colleagues are are focusing their work, and and just day after day went out with her. And she has an app on her phone that just has a list of chronically absent kids from these various small districts outside of Detroit, and she just goes knocking on the door. And quite often, there's no one home or no one comes to the door. But when someone does come to the door. She says she's there from Concentric, which is working with X or Y school district and wants to see, you know, what's going on with, with Jimmy or Mary. And, and, um, and she's very positive and sort of sympathetic in her manner. Um, even when she gets a kind of wary, skeptical, resistant response from whoever answers the door, she'll continue to be very kind of sunny, make very clear that she's not a shrewd officer. She's not coming to get anyone in trouble but she's just trying to find out what the issue is. And then, and then very often she gets these, you know, quite extraordinary stories about what's going on in this given household. Often there are real obstacles, you know, involving health issues or transportation issues or financial issues, you know, no money for clothes, whatever it might be. Um, but then just as often these days, it's not, it's, it's not anything specific like that. It's much more general, uh, much more this general sense of, again, that that habit, that routine, having simply fallen away during the pandemic. As the word that she used, and that I also heard from one of the, the, the moms that we visited, was that people had gotten too comfortable during the pandemic. It was just easier when you didn't have to, to go to school, when you didn't have to get your kid out of bed in the morning in the dark and then get them dressed and get them out the door and it was raining or it's snowing. It's just easier and more comfortable to stay at home and be on Zoom school or not be on Zoom school, just sit around. And and to get back the rigor and the regimen that daily school attendance involves has just been really hard for some families to do. Wow. When Shapria and others hear that, what is their response? It seems like it, it, it would take a, a team to get together. I, you know, it's, it's so hard to imagine. I mean, many of us f- fell off the track and are having a hard time getting back to quote normal 
um, to think of a, a an eight-year-old, for example, or a, a, a seven-year-old trying to do this with a family who, in many cases, is struggling to end to make ends meet. H- how do you get them back on track? It's enormously challenging. I mean, I'm I'm seeing it in my own life actually because I this boy that I wrote about in that fall 2020 piece for ProPublica in the New Yorker um, is boy that I still work with as a, as a kind of a mentor and he struggled enormously to get back into, into the routine. And he's now in 10th grade and he's missing a whole lot of school. And it's just a, it's just, it's a really, it's a daily struggle. And um, in her case, I mean, what she'll do is she'll bring the information back to the school. If there are specific obstacles, specific challenges the family's dealing with, they'll try to address it. So there'll be people back at school who will try to address it. Um, and, but, but when it's that more, when it's that more general, just kind of um, falling out of out of habit thing, and 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 parents also kind of falling out of the habit and just not not basically getting the, getting the job done, um, then then there is that that then uh, that edges into the question of whether one tries to take some kind of steps toward accountability, um, and and that Michigan does still have a provision on the books. They do do still have truancy laws on the books, and if the school decides and concentric decides that given situation is extreme enough and where a parent is just being irresponsible enough or teenagers being so irresponsible, they will, they can send a form to the courts that sets in motion a process that leads to probably some kind of a initially just a very kind of a diversion program where there's more pressure sort of to, to get, start going to school again. Um, if they really keep not going to school, Michigan does also have a provision for the suspension of benefits for families in those situations. Those are it's very rarely deployed, and it's that whole process is actually kind of broken down during the pandemic. It was another way in which pandemics had this lasting effect, where the processes that did exist in some states for some kind of a a accountability path really kind of got got bogged down and dysfunctional during the pandemic. Alec McGillis is an award-winning reporter for ProPublica. He's out with an investigation called Skipping School, America's Hidden Education Crisis. Before the pandemic, 7 million students were deemed chronically absent. After the pandemic, that number has almost doubled to 15 million. He writes this issue has attracted surprisingly little attention from leaders, elected or otherwise, and education coverage in the national media has focused heavily on culture war fights. So, Alec, we talked about just how difficult it's been for people to go back to school after the, clo- the schools have closed. But I also do want to talk about the poverty aspect here, because I think your piece gives us a window into poverty that we just don't really hear about that much, just how people get by day to day. Of course, poverty is covered, but what does that mean exactly? So when Concentric visited homes, here's what they found. A high school boy moved in with his grandmother, but he was sleeping on the porch for lack of a bed. So Concentric bought him one, a little boy sleeping on a porch. A superintendent purchased a washer and dryer after hearing from Concentric that some students were not coming to school because they didn't have any clean clothes. One mother said her son was missing school because she 
hadn't been able to buy him a winter jacket. Another mother said she was crying on the toilet. Her rent doubled, so she wasn't going to be able to afford Christmas presents for her kids. The rent increase forced her to pick up a second job at a fast food restaurant, which disrupted her school drop-off and pick-up routines. And we talked about the the young woman that you began your piece with, Shapria Johnson, who works with Concentric. And she alerted the children's school and said, why don't you put this family on a, your list for gift donations? I mean, this is the other piece of your story, Alec, that is just deserves so much more attention. Yeah, it's, it's it really is a window into the reality of what so many families are dealing with. Um, and the, the family... Um, that, we, that I focused on most in the piece was another classic example of how of how poverty and um, and need can just sort of drive drive a certain dysfunction within a household that makes it hard for get kids to get to school. This is a mom who has she has eight children and um, ranging in age from like infant to nineteen, and she works as a security guard at a an entertainment venue in downtown Detroit, and she often works late at that job. And the morning that we came to her, asking why her nine and eleven-year-old were missing so much school, um, she initially said she told Supriya that she had woken the kids up in the morning and then left the house. They thought she was going to work, um, but she wasn't. She came back at around ten thirty, found they had they had gone back to bed, had not gone to school. At that point, she thought it was too late to send them to school. Later, when I went to talk to her at night. She kind of revised the story and said that what had actually happened was that after she'd woken them up in the morning, she was so tired from having worked so late the night before that she had gone back to bed. And then when she woke up again, she saw that the kids had gone back to bed as well and hadn't gone to school. Um, so just that kind of, you know, the things that just the, 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 the lack of, of, of attention and routine that can come along with having a difficult work schedule and, and just, uh, uh, you know, a very challenging day to day within that kind of a household is something that's so important to keep in mind. She also said she set up a nanny cam to see what was going on at the house when she was away. Initially, she said the cats chewed up the nanny can, but then she told you it was not actually the cats. It was because she couldn't afford the monthly payments. Right. And again, that just says so much. And, and in so many cases, these obviously these these parents and these moms want what's best for their kids. They want their kids to thrive, but because of financial reasons and other reasons, it, it's just incredibly difficult. I mean, to think that she has to put up a nanny cam to monitor her kids because she has to work. Um, talk about how you ended the piece. I think it's just important because. Um, they actually were getting ready to go on the bus to go to school. Yeah, I so I, I, I spoke at length with the mom um, the the night um, after we visited her with Shapria, and and she was just very very forthcoming and candid and and open about how difficult their life was, and also about the effect that the pandemic school closures had had on on the kids that it was she who said that they had just, the kids had just gotten too comfortable and she was having trouble getting them back into the regimen. And, and then I was of course curious the next day, um, what was going to happen, you know, because they'd missed a couple of days. And, and so I woke up early and, and went over to the house. Um, and just, you know, I didn't let, I didn't want to, I wanted just to see what was going to happen. And I just hung out outside down the block. 
and it was just very the light was still dark out it was cold and 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 just as dawn was breaking um the the door opened up and those two kids the ones that had been absent so much the nine and the 11 year old came out to bring their little sister one of their little sisters is a four-year-old in preschool and and they brought her down to the corner where she catches her preschool bus and they and they had to kind of run to catch the bus in time um and the older this older sister had her arm around the little girl and 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 then um and then a grandmother um came out um she does have a car and a grandmother came out and loaded the kids into into her minivan to to get them to school um on time and it was just after after hearing everything that this household was going through on a day-to-day basis um even just seeing them on this one day actually making it and knowing what I myself am going through with this um, 10th grader in Baltimore and how much even just that one day making it on a given day matters. It was, it was definitely sort of heartening to see. We have just a couple of minutes left. You spoke with Sarah Lenhoff, a professor of education policy at Wayne State, who's working on absenteeism. She says, we're thinking about school attendance all wrong. It is societal. And um, just recently, Education Week had a piece about how the Biden administration says its new K through 12 agenda will tackle absenteeism. So can you give us an update? What is happening around combating all of this uh, at the federal and state levels? Well, Sarah Lenhoff's point is so important. It is societal and it's societal, especially because it was society, all society that made the decision to to close schools for so long in so many communities because we decided it was in the best interest of the broader society to do that. And that has now brought consequences, including absenteeism. And so it really does, it is incumbent on all of society to, to now address this. And there's not enough being done. Um, some states are doing more than others. Connecticut is really kind of taking the lead on this. They're doing their own version of the home visit approach, sending out school employees and community members to, to, visit make really kind of deliberate extended visits with families that are struggling with this. Um, the federal government did, the white house did just announce um, something in the last couple of weeks that, but it's really, it's pretty limited um, in you know, the federal government, of course, only has so much say over education in our country. It's so much driven at the state and local level, but they are encouraging states to do more um, to keep better numbers on absenteeism and use absenteeism as more of a, marker of school success. Some states do that, some some don't. So that will be one kind of go that they'll use on this front. They're also giving states a little more leeway in how to spend. They've they got all these billions of pandemic relief money, schools around the country, and quite little of it has been used for absenteeism. And But they're now going to give schools more, more time to spend the money if they spend it on absenteeism. So that's another way they're, they're trying to address this. And Axios reports that many states, uh, legislatures may pass measures to deal with this. What response are you getting to this piece? Oh, it's been very strong. It really seems to have, to have hit a nerve. Um, there had been you know, good good reporting at the local level in various communities about what X or Y um, district was doing to try to deal with this. But I think a lot of people, a lot of other people um, around the country were not aware of, of just what a huge crisis it is. Um, and, and so to, to tell it in this, in this kind of narrative form, I think really did, um, resonate and alarm a lot of readers. And are, are you planning to continue watching this to do follow-up investigations? 
I am. I'm going to continue writing on the what I've really come to think of as a just major sweeping crisis in public education post-pandemic. Well, it's such an important piece, Alec. Alec McGillis is an award-winning reporter for ProPublica. You can find his new investigation, Skipping School, America's Hidden Education Crisis, at yourcallradio.org. Alec, thank you so much for joining us. We'd love to have you back. Thank you. Thank you. And we will definitely continue to follow this issue. We got an email from Wendy who said, any discussion of the absentee crisis and education must include COVID itself. Kids get infected and reinfected and whether or not they have symptoms, parents might be keeping them home to prevent them from infecting others. We need to do just a whole series on what has happened to children and schools post COVID as such an important issue. And again, thanks to Alec McGillis for this important investigation. You can find it at yourcallradio.org. Thanks to Malihe Razazan for producing today's show. Thanks to Kevin Vance for engineering our show. You can sign up for our podcast and listen to past shows at yourcallradio.org. And you can send show ideas and guest ideas to yourcall at kalw.org. Thank you for joining us. I'm Rose Aguilar. It's your call.